Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you're listening to episode 89 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Uh, basically, creatives, something I hear quite often that they don't like sales. By rephrasing that and saying, let's do some matchmaking and let's see if we match. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants, discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. Hello, all you fabulous creative entrepreneurs. If you're an owner of a creative studio, maybe a production company, but you could be an owner at an agency or at an experiential studio, maybe sound design, music. It's good to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Hard to believe we are just about to publish episode 90 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. And you know, now that things are, well, I'm not going to say things are starting to normalize despite COVID, but I'll just say that the, the value of the podcast and my commitment to it is returned. And I have, gosh, about a dozen or so guests lined up coming in the months ahead that I think are going to be really, really great. And it's funny, I just got asked from a friend of mine in Germany. He was saying, hey, who, who else do people listen to other than you on the Rev Thinking podcast? Like, what are the other podcasts that people listen to that listen to Rev Thinking? And I said, I don't know, but that's a good question. So I went on and did a little research, and I, and I found out that it's kind of interesting. A lot of you listen to motion podcasts, so like the Masters of Motion podcast, Animalators, the Motion Hatch podcast, which is great. I'm fans of those podcasts and also School of Motion. That's a popular one that you guys are listening to. But I also saw a few interesting, uh, shall we say, maybe left or right of center. I saw Jordan Brady's Respect the Process podcast, uh, The Daily Brief from Promax, uh, a few other interesting ones, The Two Bobs podcast from my, uh, my peers, David C. Baker and Blair Enns, as well as Ditching Hourly, which is Jonathan Stark's great podcast, as well as The Business of Authority. So if you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, these are some of the shows that your friends and your peers are listening to. Now, that helps me set up today's guest, because one of my big goals here on the Rev Thinking Podcast is we're always, of course, talking about the business side of running a creative studio, a creative firm. So this is where we explore this intersection of creativity and commerce. And I love bringing a wide perspective, divergent views. I love bringing in guests that represent the client side, of course, the owner side. We've done many owners in my profile of the Creative Entrepreneur Series. And today is, is really no exception because today I'm bringing to the show business coach Claudia Meyer. Now, Claudia is based in the Netherlands and she brings very much a diverse view. She's got a lot of international experience working as what I will call a creative consultant. She happens to be trilingual, so she speaks English and German and Dutch, and she works internationally. In fact, she says she does a lot of virtual and face-to-face -face coaching, uh, originally from Austria, but she studied in Spain. She worked in Austria, Netherlands, uh, India, China, Singapore. So she's been around a lot, and she does a lot of professional coaching in what she calls strategic business development, B2B marketing, sales and client relationships. But her, I think her go-to, 
her bailiwick, if you will, her sweet spot, is that she's passionate about creativity and business, and she loves to coach creatives and designers to develop professionally and personally. The other thing I love about her is when I discovered her and we had a few conversations because we realized we have a lot in common. We thought there was a lot of interesting things that we could discuss and share. She loves illustrating and drawing. So she uses a lot of creative tools like mind mapping and design thinking and visualization to help relay ideas and principles that creatives can use to be more successful professionally and in business. So I hope you enjoy this conversation that I have with Claudia. We get into things like, is there a disconnect between creativity and business? And of course, what's her specific expertise? And we even talk about some of the timeliness of the pandemic and how's that affecting business and creatives in these times. A lot of topics we get into and it's fun. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between myself and Claudia Meyer. When I was looking at your background, I noticed that you started your coaching uh, by Claudia in 2015, which is about the same time that I started uh, consulting and working with RevThink. And that made me mm-hmm. curious to find out what was the genesis or the impetus behind you deciding I want to start coaching and I want to start coaching at this intersection of creativity and business. Well, it's a very good question. It's not an easy answer because it was really a process. It was not this one moment. It was a process that a few things, a few pieces came together. Um, So before I started this company, I was working in an architectural firm company called UN Studio doing very futuristic architectural projects around the world and I worked there in business development Um, um, and after two years um, we um, decided to go a different path and for a very long time I had this curiosity and passion and interest in coaching so in the beginning I think it all was something that I learned, okay, being curious and asking good questions deepens a conversation. And later I learned, oh, there is a profession called coaching. Um, So after I uh, quit working at this architectural firm, I suddenly felt, okay, now the only thing I need to do is this uh, professional coach training offered by CTI from the States. Um, And then there I was with my beautiful certificate. And then I thought, so now what do I do with this toolkit, with this skills coaching? Because coaching to me is not a profession. It's rather a skill set to do something with it. And at the beginning, I thought, okay, I have been living in Asia for about five years. So I could probably guide Asian professionals when they move to Europe and settle down for their studies or for work. Um, And while doing a research on their needs, I figured out that I missed something and I just couldn't name what it was. And then I was sitting down to have a coffee with a friend telling about my situation. And then she suddenly said, but Claudia, you always worked with creative people. And that was the aha moment when I thought, oh, yes, this is missing. This is the missing part. And then I turned my coaching services Uh, to focus first on Asians, I switched that to focus on uh, creatives, uh, creative business owners and creatives, uh, creative entrepreneurs. So tell us, what was the research that led to that 
discovery? Was there some sort of findings or discovery that you came across in your research? Well, when I first focused on the Asians, on Asian professionals, I, uh, via my network, I interviewed uh, 30 Asians that uh, moved to Europe and I created a huge mind map with a lot of insights actually to figure out where is the sweet, sweet spot about how could I coach them and, and what are the, the needs they have that I could fulfill. So I love doing that, but I somehow, I think my intuition felt that there was one component missing and that was the, the creative part and um, being yeah, I was in a creative uh, sphere and atmosphere and I was missing that. And once my friend mentioned that so clearly, that was the moment when I knew, okay, this is, this is it. it. It just felt right for this is, this is me somehow between in the intersection between uh, business and mainly the marketing, the sales, the pitching part and uh, creative companies. Because I remember last time you and I spoke, I thought it was really interesting that you talked about sometimes there's this disconnect between creatives and business. And I certainly find that a lot here in the States, uh, even in Europe myself. And I'm curious just to hear your point of view. What what do you find and why why is there this disconnect? I think in my experience, it all starts with the education. So it depends how a creative starts his or her career, which type of school he or she goes. Here in Europe, there are a lot of schools and high schools, universities that are either uh, art, uh, the art schools, or they are rather business schools with a creative focus. I think that a lot of the, um, the graduates coming from art schools, they are excellent in their skills they're excellent in their in their creative expression and production part but they get very little uh, training in how to translate their creative talent into business value so how to pitch present themselves how to understand where is my market how to reach this target it depends a little bit on the educational background and i think it also depends a little bit on on the personality because there are some of my clients, they were really interested in the business side and they were curious and then they were learning. And some others, they found that this is a burden. This is something that they have to do and they found it difficult. But at the end, I think it all boils down to what, what do you know? Because if you know the basics, it's less scary to do it. Well, that makes me wonder about this question. <laughs> and that is, I often find that creative people have this desire to chart their own path, to start a company, start their own studio someday. This is a very common goal. And then when they do this, they find some success and then their success becomes their own enemy because they must now learn business. And this is where they struggle as their business grows. They have to learn business, but Many of them make this transition and, and do quite well. But what about the reverse? I find it very rare that a person who is successful in business says, oh, now I would like to become a creative person and integrate these two halves of myself. What do you find? What, what has been your experience? Is it, is it similar? 
I, yeah, I would say it's similar because as again, as I said before, I think it starts a lot with your education and well, it's actually uh, students, you know, in their teenage age, they have to decide what they study. Um, and I can imagine that uh, that uh, a lot of students, they cho choose for an art related study because it sounds more interesting and it's more probably based on their talent. So they rather first choose for the creative part and then learn the business later on. And I think a lot of the, the, the students who choose a business school, you really get formed into a certain kind of thinking and in, okay, if there is a problem, you need to start with, with facts and figures and analysis. And I think the approach of designers and creatives, it's, it's richer. So I agree on you that probably there are more starting from the creative and then learning, embracing the business side than the, the opposite. Because I know one of your areas of expertise that you've mentioned is that you are helping uh, creatives in business by bringing them more joy and more alignment in doing mm -hmm. business. So what are, the, what are the common problems or frustrations that you help your clients solve? I'm really curious to hear, do you mostly work with creatives and then help them become stronger in business or vice versa? Yeah, rather the first one. So rather it's creatives who want to grow. So growth is the major topic. And when I started my business in uh, 2015, um, I did, of course, also my research and I interviewed or I had a survey among some creative uh, entrepreneurs and I did ask them, what are your biggest challenges? Because I simply didn't know. I knew, of course, and I had a, a from other existing research, I, I knew what are common topics, but I wanted to hear from them. And I also wanted to hear what are the quotes and how do they phrase it? So when I uh, looked at the results, um, the most common challenge was everything to do with uh, client acquisition and sales. So that means uh, finding um, clients and growing them. And for instance, um, there was one quote I've got the creative, but not business knowledge. So that was a very common um, quote from the respondents. And that is connected with this also very common uh, challenge is the positioning. So um, for instance, one uh, quote was uh, going out there and tell others what exactly I do. So basically, um, uh, pitching and uh, translating what your services or products are and how they are relevant for the target market. And another um, uh, topic or challenge management was the personal management, so personal development and specifically time um, task management and making decisions. And that's a very choosy topic, I think, making decisions because um, in my experience, a lot of creatives have several ambitions, so several big goals they want to achieve. And that is, of course, fantastic because it shows that this is a um, yeah, person who, who uh, sets goals for him or herself. But it also makes it really difficult to achieve multiple ambitions. 
Um, wh what is your experience in that? Did you do you also hear that sometimes that uh, creatives tend to have uh, different various goals? Yeah, it's interesting that you ask that because it is quite common. Part of what I find is that most of the creative entrepreneurs that I work with are incredibly talented and they have numerous talents. And this can actually be a problem <laughs> because when you have four or five or seven or 10 different skills where you excel, you find yourself very uh, challenged to pick one. What is the one or two or three things I should focus on because I'm good at so many different types of activities or skills. And this I find is a, really a lifelong journey of discovery uh, of, of what I call identifying your genius, because there, there, there is one or two or three things where you can truly be great. And that's ultimately where your success lies. But it is difficult because in your early days, when you're young, there's many voices, there's parents, there's school, there's society, <laughs> there's a lot of expectations. And so it's difficult to, it's difficult to choose and to focus. Um, is that, yeah. has that been your experience as well? Yes, indeed. Um, so it's the, basically the sweet spot of what you're really good at and what you really love to do. Because if you love to do it, you will automatically come, become better. And if you're good at it, you will also see the results and, and enjoy it more. So it's this combination of being good at and enjoying. Um, and that relates very well to uh, another finding um, in this research I did. I asked also, do you have a clear business uh, vision? And um, it was surprising to me that a very small percentage, so only 14%, uh, said yes, absolutely. And the rest, they said, yes, I'm pretty sure or I'm a little bit sure. Some of them didn't know at all, but only a small percentage, so more or less eight, um, uh, eight out of 100, they were really sure about what exactly their vision is. And that is something that, again, relates to the multiple ambi ambitions, because if you have this broad talents and interests and creative people, they tend to be more open-minded. They are more stimulated by everything that happens, everything they see, they, they connect it immediately to new ideas, new concepts. Um, and that, again, makes it more difficult to take decisions and to choose and to say, okay, this is exactly where I want to go. Um, so this is one of the repeating topics that is, uh, in my experience, typical for creative business owners and creative entrepreneurs. Yeah, I would agree. I find there's this co very common, I call it a myth, uh, almost like a lie or a deception that we tell ourselves as Creatives very often will say something like, well, if I just focus on doing good work, the rest will take care of itself or things will work out. And that sounds nice because we want to believe that if I just produce great work, if I'm a great creative, then opportunity will arise and I will win <clears throat> new clients and succeed in business but unfortunately, it's not that simple. And people can get stuck for many years thinking, well, I'm doing good work. Why am I not succeeding 
like others uh, are succeeding or why am I not achieving my goals? So in your, in your practice, I'm curious, uh, are you focused uh, in a particular geography uh, near where you're based or do you work around Europe? Do you work uh, around the world even? Yeah, around the world, because nowadays, like ourselves, we also have now this uh, international uh, podcast that you're based in the US, I'm based in the Netherlands. So due to this fantastic internet and uh, video conferencing tools, it's it doesn't matter where a client is based. So I'm serving um, the international uh, market, but of course, with the requirement of um, English speaking or Dutch speaking or German speaking, but this, the lear, this, uh, languages I can uh, serve um, and provided there, there's a good internet connection. Um, what well, I, I have a strong advantage over me because, uh, of course, being an American, I, I really only speak English very well, so you, you have an advantage there. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's 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 again very uh, typical <laughs> for Americans to say that. Yeah, it's so. I mean, on the other hand, it's really an advantage that you that English is your mother tongue. But of course, it's also very comfortable to just stay in your comfort zone in English. <laughs> yes, of course. But I also I adore working with uh, firms outside the U.S. because of uh, so I learn so much, and I feel like there's so much knowledge and, and practices and strategies here in the U.S. that I love applying in different places around the world. Do you find the same thing? Do you find working with with uh, creatives and creative firms outside of uh, the, the Netherlands or even Europe is more at times more interesting or more stimulating? It is definitely stimulating because, as you said, you can always learn from other cultures and uh, slightly different approaches of uh, how to tackle problems or how, how to organize. Um, the Netherlands is a country uh, which in general, I think is quite known for efficient working. So a lot of the firms here, they, they are quite yeah, streamlined and they work efficiently. They are also known for direct communication. So if something is not right, then it will be told directly. Whereas in Austria, for instance, it's more common to have a polite, friendly, respectful way of communications. And of course, that also influences a collaboration. Um, I have, for instance, one uh, client, he has a, um, a small agency um, based in, in the Netherlands, but he's originally from Singapore. And we talk a lot about expansion to China. So that is basically three cultures in one. And that is, of course, always a special situation to, on the one hand, learn from other cultures and also still yeah, stay true to your own values and also address things that you think could be tackled better. Um, so this is a little bit tricky now that I'm based here in the Netherlands. I almost get used to very direct communication. And right, sometimes of course. I to switch and say, hey, Claudia, hold on. You know, be a little bit more polite and, and friendly and rather say a little bit more uh, in an indirect way. Well, it's interesting you talk about doing business in China because I have a similar uh, initiative. I have two or three clients that are either working there or want to additionally develop business there. Do you find that market is becoming more open and receptive to other creatives from around the world going and doing, doing work there? Um, 
Well, at the moment, I have one Singaporean and one uh, Chinese um, creative, but they're both here, both uh, based here in the Netherlands. Um, and uh, the Chinese client, he is also active with uh, creating collaborations between Dutch designers and, uh, and China. And uh, I know from his, um, yeah, from his experience that it is not so easy due to mainly language barriers. Because, um, of course, China is also uh, get opening and getting more international, but still it is sometimes a true barrier for communication, especially in the creative industry where it's so much about storytelling and it's about communicating emotions um, rather than facts and, and, and very clear um, images or, or drawings. Um, so I think it depends. And... Um, it also depends on if you match the Chinese culture because they are very fast paced. So they basically work around the clock and some clients also expect that. So you will, uh, sometimes you receive uh, messages at midnight and they expect you to answer. Um, and the other element that, that maybe you've heard the, the aspect of uh, losing the face. So that is a very important uh, cultural element to uh, be aware of when doing business with China because it is a culture that is very much based on, on, um, on the social status, uh, on the social role you have in a company. Um, so it is, it is wise to understand what this uh, keeping the face means and how to um, basically uh, share criticism or share if things are not the way they should be. So that's a bit, I think, the challenges doing business with China. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm thinking the other way I've heard it said is save face uh, here in America. But yes, that those nuances become so important when, as you said, when you are creating a creative product there is so much subjectivity and the impact of your work is very often measured by an emotional response. Did this make me feel something? Does this make me curious or excited or happy? And like you said, that's very different than solving a, an objective or rational uh, pr a product or problem where you can easily measure, did we make it bigger? Did we make more dollars? Did we reach a larger audience. Uh, and so solving those types of problems across different cultures is actually a lot more complicated. It's interesting how you pointed that out. Now I'm curious though to ask you, because I know you mentioned uh, in your work as a coach that you had some favorite uh, tools and some, some particular concepts that you uh, use working with your clients. I was just curious from a, a practical standpoint, it might be fun to talk about a few of those and maybe give some, some listeners some practical suggestions, some things that they can, they can do some research on their own and see if maybe some of these tools might be a fit for them um, mm -hmm. and maybe, they, maybe follow you and learn more. But what are some of those favorite tools or favorite uh, concepts that you use when you work with your clients? Mm-hmm. So what we 
um, connect back to when we talked about uh, curiosity. I think in a way I also consider myself a creative. I'm not a creative maker or producer or, or graphic designer, but I consider myself a creative um, thinker. So I think it all starts from my own personal um, search, ongoing search for very practical, very simple uh, tools that make work life easier. So that is my my main criteria if I look for new tools to use. And uh, all of them, they are visual. They have a visual element, are really simple to use. So some are the, um, I think what is one of my favorite principles of communication is the Golden Circle from Simon Sinek. Uh, it's one of the most popular TED Talks, the start with why. Um, which is easy to explain. It's basically three circles and in the core is the why. So that basically means why you do what you do. What is your personal drive? Why do you get up in the morning? The middle circle is the how. That's your approach. So your way of working. And the outer circle is the what. So that's basically the service, UX design or video production, etc. So this is um, a very simple tool. And by watching the, the TED talk from Simon Sinek, where he explains it with the example of Apple, it's some of, the, of these simple tools that always stick in my mind and that basically teach you to start with emotion, to start with meaning, any kind of, for instance, imagine yourself, you're in a, in a networking event and then someone asks, what do you do? Some maybe you think, oh my God, what shall I tell? Um, and then you make up your sentence. But if you watch this video and uh, define for yourself your why, how, what statement, um, it's much easier to, to start a conversation because you try or the listener will see, oh, this sounds really interesting. What do you mean by this and that? And why is, you know, why are you trying to make creatives more successful? So it is a conversation opener, and at the same time, it's the opposite of the boring, I am X working at company Y. So that's basically the uh, antidote to the simple, uh, my name is and I work at. I love that you mentioned the Simon Sinek TED Talk, because I can remember vividly the first time I ever heard that TED Talk. I was driving in my car. And I was so blown away with the simplicity of that concept that I had to, I had to pull off the road and stop <laughs> and think and realize, I think I've just learned one of the most amazing principles. And to me now that book, Start With Why, and that TED Talk um, are a classic and it's something that everyone should be familiar with. So I'm curious, when you take one of your clients through that process what changes is it their ability to quickly and simply express themselves in a way that is more authentic and more interesting yes but i think mainly the the purpose of that is to gain more confidence and more clarity on who you are because a lot of the um, creatives that uh, start their own agency, 
and then they grow, they start from a passion. So there is a lot of relationship between the company and yourself. There is a lot of your own personal val values in the company. So therefore, by um, basically drawing, as simple as drawing these three circles and then writing words that pop up in your mind that fit this circle, it is sometimes more easy to fill out the what and the how, and it's more difficult to fill out the why because it takes time, it is work, because it's deep in yourself. It's really the core of who you are as a person. It's usually something that is meaningful for you. And therefore, therefore you, you, it's also so uh, emotional and, and uh, personal. Um, but it's hard to pinpoint it and, and uh, formulate the right words because it's so personal. So therefore the beauty of the, of the golden circle is that it puts the why central and it almost forces you to dig deeper on, okay, where do I really stand for and why do I do the work that I love to do? And when I work with uh, clients, that's basically the most, to me, the most fun part because it is to look in different ways on what is the best approach to get to the core of client to elaborate the why. And um, as I work with creatives, of course, I do not use, okay, please fill out a 10 page Excel sheet or write a, a five page long story, but rather I would invite them to draw, okay, what, what is meaningful for you? Why do you do that? And then ask further, okay, and why is that important and what does that mean to you? So it's a combination of different powerful questions that lead to the core in combination with creative techniques. It could also be, okay, let's look out of the window what you see and what triggers you. So that is uh, basically um, in, in the coach training I followed, it's called dancing in the moment. It's being fully present and listening and listening to your own intuition and daring to ask a question that in a normal setup you would hide because you think, oh my God, I can't ask that. But that are usually the powerful questions. And if you see a client looking up with the with the eyes that they are triggered to think then you know you're in the sweet spot because you get to the core i love that and i i'm i'm curious to hear this if you think one thing i've, I've noticed is you've talked about asking these deeper questions and getting to the core and i think answering those questions requires a certain level of vulnerability which triggers fear or it can trigger fear. Is that is that the most common obstacle for why creatives struggle with getting clear about this core within them? Is it is it about fear and not a lack of information? I think in that case, it's not just for creatives. It's for all humans that we are so used to. You know, whenever whoever you meet, you first say your name and you first say where you're from and what you do. So you say the role because it's safe. Everyone knows if you say, oh, I'm a UX designer at, at uh, booking.com. Okay, everyone knows more or less what that means. But of course, it is more you showing yourself if you 
talk about something meaningful to yourself. Um, so I think we are just not used to have these deep conversations because our uh, life, sometimes the daily situations, they, they rather try to form us, okay, let's be safe and let's be comfortable and just tell the role and that's it. But if you dare to go deeper, then you open the opportunity to connect with people because only, let's say, in, in, in our case, we both share this passion to combine or to, to, to help grow creative companies. And probably you do it from another, from another direction than me and you do it for slightly different uh, reasons, but we share that and that creates a connection. So I think for creatives, it's not so much more difficult than for not creatives to get to the core, but in general, we are not used to that. And therefore it sometimes takes different approaches to see what works. So what I mentioned before, for instance, the drawing element, especially for creatives is something they know they are, they know that drawing is something that can, they can express their emotions. So to give you one example, I was working with a graphic designer and we were um, basically working on the, on the gold circle, on the, on the positioning because he, was, he wanted to create a new website. And the big question, of course, was what should the website do? What should be on the website? What, what, for whom is the website? And in order to figure that out, when I asked him, so the words, that didn't land. But I went, when I asked him, okay, can you draw how you see yourself in the future? He, start, he took his pen and he was drawing and illustrating. And then there was a house where he would work from home. There would be a surfboard where he could combine, okay, if there are good waves, he could combine waving and then working. So that opened a whole new world to explore and to dig deeper and to look for these um, meaningful um, yeah, elements of the why. And for, for every person, there is not a one fits all, but it's rather um, a creative uh, exploration to see what works. And sometimes metaphor works, or sometimes a song works that, okay, and to dig deep, okay, why is that song meaningful to you? Or what is, for instance, a peak moment when you felt very proud? So from there to dig deeper. There are a lot of, there is a lot of material, but it's all the outer shell. And the, the beauty, I think, of coaching is to get through this shell and, and dare to go to the, to the core. Yeah, I love that idea of helping people get in touch with what is deeper, what is truer, and ultimately what is more valuable to the world. Because I sometimes find that creatives are somewhat trapped in these conventions, traditions, uh, you might call it boxes, because I know you talk about how we each grow up in a box. Mm -hmm. And sometimes helping people escape that box unleashes something beautiful that they now can offer the world that previously was trapped inside this statement. Hi, my name is Tom. I'm a UX designer. <laughs> at booking.com yeah. right it was, so when you help people get outside of this box uh what do you what do you find happens what uh, what's the result well the result is really something that grows from the process because you never know 
um, it could be a career change. It could be the realization of actually where I am right now, I'm, I'm really not happy. Um, it could be also the realization of, okay, I am exactly the right space, but I want to add something. I want to combine that. So you never know the results because you never know about the core unless you go there. And when we talk about the boxes, of course, I think it's again one way of humans being safe and, and being comfort. Because if you say, okay, the UX designer at this and that company can put him or her in this box, okay, this is this UX designer. But of course, a lot of the creatives, they are multi-potentialites. They have what we talked before, they have multiple talents. And it is sometimes, because we are also feeling more comfortable to put ourselves in boxes and others. So it takes a bit of, um, yeah, it, it, it takes a little bit of risk and uh, daring to be different. And that can also, again, be the power of combining things that others don't have. So eventually this fictional person, Tom, the UX designer, maybe it could be that, that he, um, that he has, you know, a special handicrafting um, talent and that that can again uh, increase his UX capability that he uses this handicrafting to do user research, for instance, or find his own method. So there is a lot of, I truly believe that there is a lot of potential if you, if you, if you unbox yourself and if you create your own uh, definition of who you are. And that's because that, again, makes people curious for, oh, this UX designer who, who um, is really good at whatever, knitting, and use it, a knitting method to explore user needs, as an example. So it is, it is less conventional, but that is then the right, the right place for that person. And um, that can, you, uh, naming another of the tools and concepts, for instance, if you take the value proposition canvas, which is a very simple one-pager that basically combines your, what you do with what people need. And again, if you, you use this canvas as a trigger to explore, okay, with this special combination of talents, whom can I serve for what kind of problem? There you are, there you have your value proposition. Yeah, that sounds like a powerful tool and very simple. And I think it's funny just to hear you describe it because so many people begin with, well, what is the need? But they lose sight of, yeah, but what is your unique, what is your core, what is the thing that you bring? It's not simply you fulfilling a need, it's finding that intersection. Is that what you're telling us? Yeah. Yeah, and I um, I think one or two years ago, I recorded a, a video where I had a little aha moment where I figured out that uh, talking about this value proposition, it is not about selling. It is, it is not about someone forcing to, to, to use your services or your product, but, it, but I rather see it as matchmaking. So it is basically like dating that you bring together two people who want each other and together they are more. So 
basically creatives, uh, they, that's some, something I hear quite often that they don't like sales and they don't like to sell themselves and, and, and even force clients to work with them. But rather by rephrasing that and saying, let's do some matchmaking and let's see if we match, if, if what I do, what I stand for, if that's something that my client also stands for and something that he needs, then there is the match. And then this can be a valuable collaboration. But if a, if a designer or creative starts with this mindset of, oh, I have to sell, then probably it won't work. Claudia, I think you and I should just, we should declare a new mission today that let's <laughs> say inside the creative firm that we will just redefine the word sales to simply mean matchmaking because I yeah. totally agree. I totally agree. That's all that sales is, is matchmaking. And that's a much more optimistic and I think easier way to think about it. Yeah. In a way, I feel it's crazy that it's not known already, that it's not already thought and, and already in the mindset because there is so much fear and, and negative components to sales and probably comes from the past, you know, where you had the, the vacuum cleaner guy knocking at your door from this is the new machine and these are 70,000 reasons why you need to buy it. And then you just have to buy because you're a victim of the story. Probably that's still in our heads that sales is, is something sleazy and, and, and negative. But actually, if you turn it around, it's wonderful because you are helping your client grow if he's happy, you're happy. Yeah, I think it's such a simple way to think of it. And like you said, why is this not more commonly known? I think this is maybe so obvious, but perhaps it's because uh, we've each spent uh, a long time, maybe a lifetime in this industry and seeing it. But I think if I were to ask the average creative entrepreneur, if you could do some matchmaking, who would you like to match with? And then it becomes a question of fit. And, yeah. oh, well, maybe I would love to work with Apple because I think they are a great fit. And I would say, great. Maybe we should ask them out on a date <laughs> and see if yeah. we're a match. <laughs> and yeah, sometimes it's it, that simple. It, it is a lot about the mindset that changes something because um, it starts with the word. So by calling it matchmaking, it has this lighter mutual uh, meaning that rather sales like I have to sell to you. Um, and it's rather a matchmaking. It's, it's an active verb about, okay, exploring if what services or products I have, if they would help you to do your job better. And to do that, I think the, the value proposition canvas, this one page, service meets needs overview is again a very useful tool and it is basically the heart the core component of the business model canvas so it's this um this canvas the business plan basically a visual business plan on on a page with nine components and the value proposition is in the middle because it connects what do you do and why you get paid for and if we just now in this moment made it even easier to say, okay, value proposition, it's basically matchmaking. 
then hopefully with this term we can also release a little bit of the fear and bring in more joy and lightness and and um, the invitation to value your own service more and to be proud of what you can achieve for your clients. Well, I've got one more question for you. But before I ask it, I wanted to first uh, hear from you. For people that want to follow you, stay in touch with you, hear what you have to say, what, what, what are the best ways for people to stay in touch with you? As I'm also a very visual person, I love uh, uh, Instagram. So you can find me on Coaching by Claudia. That's one word, account name. And uh, on LinkedIn, it's Claudia Meyer, M-A-Y-E-R, where I post regularly relevant resources I come across. I sometimes post my own insights or sneak peeks of my work also at the university where I teach in the creative business program. So it's a little bit uh, a colorful mix of, of insights and sometimes these practical tools that really help to make the business side more fun. Because I think if it's more fun, it's easier. And then the whole business side is um, supporting the creative talent. Well, I noticed that you have a motto, which is go for progress, not perfection, mm-hmm. which I, I really, I really appreciate that, that perspective. I'm curious, how does someone actually do that? What does that mean? Um, I think first of all, to admit this is really difficult. I think to me, I admit I, I was, I am still a perfectionist and I think for the past 30 plus years, perfection was leading me. And I got to the point of realization that that perfection was hindering me and it was turning up my ambitions to a level that are just impossible. So I had a kind of honest conversation with myself to figure out what is my relationship with perfection. Does it serve me or does it hinder me? And... I figured out that that sometimes I use perfection to stay in the comfort zone because if I expect to do everything perfectly, then certain things I don't have to do because I can't do them perfectly. So it is a kind of a mask for staying in your comfort zone and hindering to explore new things and do scary things. Um, and therefore... I defined this motto, go for progress, not perfection. So in a way, I don't even allow myself to do things perfectly. And I I force myself to just go for progress, just one step ahead and not even allow to do anything perfect because it's a trap. Because only I define what perfect means for myself. So I only make my own life harder because no one else in the world knows what I expect from my own perfectionist level. So this motto, um, I also share it uh, commonly because I sometimes see a face of relief. Oh, yes. Well, I don't actually, you know, I can choose. Do I want perfection or do I want progress? And that motto so far is pushing me in the right direction. Well, I 
I really like that phrase you said where perfection can be a mask that allows you to stay in your comfort zone. Because obviously, as creatives, we know that staying in our comfort zone is a form of, of death. It's a form of, of uh, decline that creativity is all about growing and evolving and improving and innovating. So I, I, I find that as well. I think that's a very simple way to say it. Um, I've heard that. Uh, I'm curious, how about yourself? What is your progress and perfection, love and hate story? Well, it's, it's, it's similar to yours. I, I embraced perfection for a period of years early in my career. Um, but then I had a very, uh, as it would so happen, I had a, an amazing coach, uh, a gentleman named Dan Sullivan, who runs the strategic coach. And he taught me this idea of don't worry about perfection, just go, just pursue progress. Mm -hmm. And it was very freeing for me because I would say fast forward to today, uh, I don't mean to sound elitist, but I don't find the concept of perfection very interesting anymore. I find the concept of greatness very interesting and exciting, but perfection I agree with you. I think it is very often the excuse that we use so we don't have to change. We don't have to grow. It was it was perfect, therefore it was unachievable, and that gives me the excuse I need to stay where I am. But if the goal is greatness, well, greatness is often within reach. We can achieve that. And so to me, that's a more a much more interesting and inspiring concept. It is. And I think sometimes these, these mottos, so this is even my life, my life motto. Um, it is something it's, as I mentioned before, it's not easy to do. And it takes, you know, in my case, more than 30 years to figure out what it is. Um, but that's also the beauty of being active and reflecting on yourself and, having good, deep conversations with people who are interested in you. And of course, that can be friends and family because they are interested, of course. But sometimes I learned, I also ha had my own coaches for my own process. It is really valuable to have someone who is neutral, objective, and basically his or her only goal is to stick Uh, to your goals and to hold you accountable and to get out the potential that you have. Well, I appreciate you so much spending this time uh, with me today on the podcast. It's been really fun for me uh, hearing your perspective and your journey and, of course, how you work with your clients to help them navigate this, this career where creativity and business intersect. So thank you so much for uh, spending time with me today. Well, thank you. It was a great conversation and we discovered a lot of uh, commonalities. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, I'll be sure to include the uh, links to Instagram and your LinkedIn uh, in the, the notes when we, uh, when we post this podcast. So for anyone listening, they can go and find you and follow you and keep up with uh, what you're talking about and what you're doing and the other insights that you're sharing with the world. Well, Claudia, thanks again for joining me on the Rev Thinking Podcast. I, I always love having uh, guests that really understand this 
beautiful intersection of creativity and commerce. So thanks again on behalf of uh, the people listening. And I look, for, look forward to you and I staying in touch and perhaps someday uh, sharing a stage together. Yeah, let's, let's go forward and we, we keep on pushing the matchmaking approach. <laughs> That's right. That's our new mission. That sounds the new great. matchmaking well, You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more information on upcoming accelerators, events, or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you, connect with us at RevThink.com. 